I'm glad you're here with us today. We're actually finishing up a series we've been doing this summer out of the book of Philippians called This Is Us. So if you've been with us, this is our last day of that. And if you're new and you're thinking, well, I'm getting in on the tail end of something, uh, I just want to encourage you this next month is going to be amazing. Just the, 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 the party we're going to have next week celebrating some things happening in the life of our church. And then we're going to dive into three weeks of, of some really interesting stuff I'll tell you about in a minute. But um, we're, that's where we're going to be today is in the book of Philippians. And I'm, I'm really thrilled that you're with us. And I was thinking a lot about this book this last week because this last weekend I received a gift. And the gift was unexpected, unasked for. I, it came out of the blue. I received a phone call from a guy that works with Pastor Serve. It's an organization that, can you guess what they do? Yeah, they, they serve pastors. And he said, would you like to come spend five days with 20 pastors in Montana? And I said, what are you selling me? He said, nothing, no, we, there's nothing. We just want you to come hang out. We just want you to, to receive. There's no agenda. Uh, there's nothing we're going to sell to you. And, oh, by the way, there's also no cell service. And I said, I'm there. And here we are. So there are 20 pastors. Can, can you just feel the awkwardness oozing off the screen? We're all standing there trying to be awkward. Where do we stand? Everybody's in front of me. There I am on third from the left over there. Um, it was unexpected. I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to expect, and I didn't ask for it. It wasn't like I was looking for something. I wasn't calling around. I wasn't dropping hints. Boy, it sure would be great if someone would offer me a trip with some pastors. Uh, so I show up with these guys that at the time I didn't know. I knew a couple of them, but I didn't really know them. And we spent five days together. We went fly fishing one day. And not that it matters. I did catch five fish the first time I ever went. But that's not important. <coughs> but just hanging out with guys, no agenda, conversations. I, I didn't realize that I needed this gift until I was there. And it was the last night where I, I, I just started sharing with some of the guys um, There'd been a lot going on in my home, a lot going on in some situations, and I kind of had that thing that maybe you have where you're about to go on a vacation or a trip, and you're like, oh, I can't go. What am I thinking? And, and I felt like this trip was God saying to me, hey, uh, you can be gone from your responsibilities, and, and I'm big enough to handle those for you. This is so helpful for me. And so I th I've been thinking about this last few days. Why was this so impactful to me? And I think it's because um, of this word. I felt noticed. This wasn't uh, me crying out saying, hey, I really need a break. I need to be with some guys. Hey, could someone please do this? This was out of the blue, getting a phone call saying, we want to give you something just to tell you that we love you and encourage you. And I felt noticed. That's what unexpected generosity does. It, it's, it's like God is saying, I, how, can I, how can I help you know that I see you? I know. I'll use another person. Have you ever received an unexpected gift? You didn't ask for it. You weren't hinting about it at all. And it shows up and it's like you're saying you really felt noticed. Have you ever felt noticed like that? I think that's where we end in this book of Philippians here because I, I think about this kind of generosity and this kind of open-handedness. And, and I want to be that in my life. I want to be an open-handed person. And I want to use that generosity to say to people, I notice you. And more importantly, God notices you. How do we become the kind of people that use generosity that way? Well, we're going we're gonna to find out today in these last few verses of Philippians. Now, just as a reminder to you, we've been in this book all summer. This series is called This Is Us. And what we're doing is we're looking over the shoulder of a man named Paul, who lived uh, about 1,900 years ago 
And at the time of this letter, he's sitting in a Roman prison awaiting his fate. Is he going to be executed? Is he going to be exonerated? He doesn't know. But he's using this time to write some letters. And he's writing a letter to his us, his group of believers in this city called Philippi. Now, I want you to remember what happened. When he got thrown into jail, this city, this church in this city, that he had helped found this church 20 years ago, they caught wind. Hey, did you guys hear Paul is in prison? And so they wanted to do something. They wanted to respond. And so they, they scraped together, even though they were facing some tough times, they scraped together some money, and they said, okay, Epaphrodites, you take this money and travel a thousand miles, and you give it to Paul. You tell him it's from us. Well, Paul got this gift. It meant the world to him. Because it wasn't about the money. It's about what the money meant. See, it meant that this mission that he had given his life to wasn't in vain, that there were still people fighting the good fight. It meant that there were people out there who loved him, who were willing to sacrifice him. It meant that he wasn't alone. It meant that he was noticed. And sitting there in that prison wondering, does anyone know I'm here? And then they show up and they go, we know you're here. Here's a gift. So Paul decided to write a thank you letter to Philippians. Now, Paul can't just say thank you. You and I would write a, a little pen and we'd go, hey, thanks for the gift, much love, XOXO, whatever you would say. I don't know. But Paul has to write in three chapters of theology. Well, well, I've got you here. Let me just tell you some things. So we've been walking through this summer as Paul's been talking a lot about what it means to be an us. But finally, at the last few verses, he gets around to the whole point of his letter, which is thanks a lot for the gift. Now, in these few verses, even though he's just saying thank you, there's some powerful things about our generosity and about our open-handedness that we can learn from. So we're going to look at chapter 4, verse 10. If you want to dive in with me, let's see what he closes up his letter with. Here we go, verse 10. Paul says, I've been having a great celebration in the Lord. I'm in prison, I'm in this cell, but I'm celebrating because your concern for me has once again burst into flower. And then he says this, of course, you were concerned for me before, but you just didn't have an opportunity to show it. Paul says, your gift to me was like a flower that just kind of popped out of nowhere. Jessica and I experienced it this year. We, we uh, moved into a new home, and there were these bushes out front that somebody had planted, and we started watering them, and they're like, what are these? I don't know. And all of a sudden, these, these little pink and red roses popped out. They're beautiful. And I realized they've been there the whole time, it just took a little bit of water to show forth. This is what Paul is saying. Your care for me has been there the whole time. I've always known that you cared about me. But when that gift showed up, it's like a flower burst out and said, we do care. You proved it. And you and I know this. We all have people that say, hey, I care about you. I love you. But it's when you're in those moments where you're in need and you need someone to call you or pray for you or stop by your house or just say, hey, let's go out and hang out and talk. You, you know that they love you then. That's what Paul's saying. But here's where it gets really interesting, because in the next verse, 11, he kind of says this. He says, I'm not talking about lacking anything. I've learned to be content with what I have. I learned how to do without, and I've learned how to cope with plenty. Here's what he's saying. Hey, Philippians, thank you so much for that gift. I didn't really need it. I wasn't lacking anything. I, I, I was content with what I have. I hadn't run out of funds. I wasn't at the end of my bank book. I, I wasn't facing poverty. I'm at a place where I have learned the secret of being content with what I have. Now, at first you might think, well, that kind of sounds weird. I, I would hate to give a gift to somebody and them say, thanks, I didn't really need that. But Paul's driving something. Their gift is all the more important for that. 
Because they gave to Paul, even though he, Paul didn't actually need the gift. This means their gift wasn't about desperation. It was just about devotion. It just said something to him. You see, we've all been guilted into giving, right? We've all been in a situation where someone tells us a story or we see something on TV and, and we're moved to act. And, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But there's a special kind of generosity that's motivated by devotion. A kind that says, hey, I, you may not need this, but you just need to know that God loves you. You just need to know that you're noticed. You need to know that we're here. That's something powerful. It'd be so different if Paul had written them saying, hey, I'm low on funds. He didn't. But Paul says something here that I think I want to dig into just a minute because it, we can kind of misunderstand this. Listen to what he said. He said, I can cope in good times or bad times. In fact, in every possible situation, I've learned the secret. The hidden secret of being full and hungry, of having plenty and going without, and here it is. Now, people spend all kinds of money to learn this secret, right? You walk into a bookstore, you start browsing on Amazon, and you look into contentment or happiness or joy, and you're going to find thousands of books. People will pay any amount of money, and Paul says, I'm just going to give it to you. Here it is. Verse 13. I have strength for everything in the one who gives me power. Now, we're in the uh, New Testament for everyone version here. Some of you may recognize this verse in a different form. It might be something like this. Say it with me. I can do what? All things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I believed that verse so powerfully. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so when I was a senior in high school and I was playing football at First Baptist Dallas in downtown Dallas, Texas, I wrote that verse on my football shoes. Big letters, Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13. I thought, man, this is going to give me power, and it's going to intimidate my opponent. They're going to be like, wow, you got God on your side. Then they would fall down. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that season we went out, and our ending record was 4-6. and six. So clearly we can't do all things, right? We could do four things. That, this verse gets pulled out of context sometimes, and sometimes people take this verse to say, well, this means I can do anything I want because God gives me the power. And whenever I meet someone that tells me that, I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Hey, jump 20 feet in the air. I can't. Well, why not? You can do all things. To, and they don't appreciate the, the sarcasm there. But I hope you get the point. What's the most important word in real estate? It's what? Location, location, location. When you're reading through the Bible, that might also be the most important word. Location, location, location. That means you don't take a verse and just throw it up there and say, well, I can do whatever I want. But you go back and you say, what's the location of this verse? What is Paul saying? And when you understand what he's actually saying, the context is key. Paul is not saying, I have strength to do whatever I decide I want to do because God's going to give me the power. He's specifically talking about, I have learned how to be content when I don't have enough. I have the strength through the power that God gives to be content when I have a lot, and to be content when I have a little. This is what he's promising. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if you want to take this verse and you want to use it to, to do a best PR in CrossFit, that's great. If you want to, oh, I can, I can do all things. I, I'm not knocking on that. I'm just saying I think what's happening here is this is a great verse to use when you don't feel like you have enough. When you don't feel like you can be happy with what you have. When you don't know if you can be content. When you're looking at something else saying, life would be better if I had I think this is a great verse to say, I have the strength, I can do in Christ, I can be content. 
So this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, thank you for the gift. I didn't actually need it, but what it meant is so much more. It meant that you noticed me. It meant that you had devotion. And it wasn't given out of desperation. Now he goes on and he, he, he keeps talking about this. He says, but you did the right thing by entering into a partnership with me in my suffering. I don't want you to think that you wasted your money giving it to me. No, it was a good deal. Indeed, you people in Philippi know well when the gospel was getting underway and I was moving on from Macedonia, all part of this 20-year relationship he's had, there wasn't a single other church except yourselves that entered into a two-way partnership with me, giving and receiving. Well, there were other churches that, you know, said we'd pray for you. There's some other churches that maybe gave us a little money or whatever, but, but there's no church that really committed and said, we're in this with you. Even when I was in Thessalonica, verse 16, you sent help to me, not just once or twice. Paul's saying, great men and women of Philippi, you've always been open-handed. You've always been a partner with me since the very beginning of this thing called the gospel. And you proved it several times, not just once, but twice. You actually sent financial help to me when I was in need. But here's the point. It was never about the money. Look what he says next. He says, I stress, verse 17, that it isn't the gift I'm interested in. It wasn't about the money. My concern is that you would have a healthy profit balance showing up on your account. He's kind of using some spiritual terms here. He's saying it's not about the money, it's about what the money reveals. If you want to know what is important to someone, you look where their money goes. What do they invest their time and their resources, their finances in? How we spend our money is a powerful indicator of what we value. Paul is saying it wasn't the gift. It wasn't the amount. I didn't, I didn't even need it. But what meant a lot to me is this speaks volume about what's important to you me the gospel god's kingdom you have a healthy balance with god because you are caring about the right thing for myself verse 18 i'm good i've received full payment i'm well stocked up in fact i'm full to overflowing now that i've received from epaphroditus what you sent remember i, I was doing okay now i'm doing more than okay i have more than enough i can i can spill over and do some new ministries it's great it's like it's like an old testament sacrifice that rose up with a beautiful smell a worship offering giving pleasure to god you sacrifice something important and you noticed me and i notice you now paul says something next that again is one of those verses we could rip out and maybe write on our shoes that, that might get us a little afield. He says this to them. So here's the deal, guys. What's more? My God will meet all your needs too out of his store of riches, glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What's more? My God will meet all your needs too. Guys, I know that you're facing poverty in Philippi. Your businesses are being shut down by the government. I, I know that you're facing oppression. Those Roman soldiers are getting more rambunctious every day. I know that you're facing problems with each other. You're turning on each other. You're challenged with each other. I want you to know, I believe, that even though I can't physically come there and help you, that my God can. And he'll repay you. Now, this is a hard verse to, to quote to somebody. And maybe you've even received that. Maybe there's been a time in your life where you were kind of down in some ways. And someone said, well, here's a verse for you. And you're like, but I prayed that and it didn't, didn't really work. How do we take this? I want to remember, location, location, location. Paul is not talking in a general sense that, uh, hey, no matter what, just, just trust God, he'll take care of you. I, I think that that is, has some truth to it, and Paul says it elsewhere. But here, he's not just doing a general, God's going to meet all your needs. But here, what he's saying is this. You guys sacrificed. You gave something to me that cost you something. 
And I want you to know that as you were generous, I believe God will find a way to make that up to you. In other words, being generous doesn't mean we have to lose. Sometimes I have a fear that, well, if I'm open-handed, I might get taken advantage of. If I'm open-handed, maybe there won't be enough for me. Well, I need to make sure I cover my bases first, and if I have anything left over, then I'll be open-handed. There's a fear there. That's called a scarcity mindset. And sometimes it crops up in my life. Jonathan and I <clears throat> were having a conversation about this, uh, this thing we were negotiating with our church, and uh, one of the things I was really concerned about was I wanted to make sure that we got a good deal because I care about us. And I was like, Jonathan, I want to make sure that we're not getting taken advantage of. I want to make sure that we're getting everything we're supposed to get in this deal. I mean, I really want to have that, that mindset. I don't want you to, to lose anything here. And Jonathan said, well, I, I'm kind of wondering if maybe being generous with someone is the point. And I said, yeah, that's what I, that's what I was meaning to say. That's what, thank you for articulating that. But it was a paradigm shift. I mean, here we are in this negotiation. I'm like, okay, no, we want this. And, well, they're going to pay for that if they're going to get this. And, and Jonathan's like, you know, what if, what if we were generous? What's, what's the loss there? Isn't that who we want to be? Sometimes we're afraid of being generous. But I think Paul is just simply saying here, hey, Philippians, you were generous. I just want to encourage you. You're not going to get lost for that. You're not going to be shortchanged for that. God's going to provide for you. And when God does provide, what do we do? We thank him. And this is why Paul just pauses here. You think it's the end. It's not the end. He just says, glory be to God, our God and Father forever and ever. Amen. We celebrate him. Now, I want to I look at how some of this might affect us as a church. I want to give you a little insight, insider understanding here. But first, I just want to show you one real cool thing in the last few words that Paul writes. Something that we would probably skip over because it's like, well, now he's just wrapping up. Paul says this, last words of his letter. Oh, Give my greetings to all God's people in King Jesus. The family here, all those believers that are here with me, that you guys know some of their names, they send their greetings too. In fact, all God's people send you greetings. And then he says this, <clears throat> especially those from Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, be with your spirit. Amen. And we move on. Okay, great. Paul, sign Paul, big letters. Paul is saying something really powerful here. Remember, Paul is a prisoner of Caesar. He is locked down in a jail in the center of the Roman Empire, surrounded by these guards of Caesar's household. But Caesar has made a huge mistake. Caesar thought, I'm going to lock this gospel down. I'll tell you what, I'll throw him in a, in, a, in a prison cell, and I'll put a bunch of my soldiers in there, and that'll keep the gospel from getting out. Oh, Caesar, you knucklehead. You didn't put soldiers in there with Paul. You locked Paul in with them. They're the ones that are now hearing Paul all the time say, hey, have you ever heard about this thing called the gospel? Uh, well, we got, you know, 24 hours today to talk about it, so let's get into it. <laughs> What's happening is that some of these guards are now saying, you know, I used to wake up every day, and the first thing I said was, Caesar, you are my Lord. Caesar, you are my Savior. And now I think that maybe this Jesus guy is my Lord and Savior. Here's what Paul's telling these people. Remember, they're sitting in Philippi. They're starting to feel the pressure. Romans, uh, the Roman citizens, Roman soldiers are putting the pressure on them. And Paul is saying this to them. Guys, we're winning. We're winning. The tide is turning. 
You have brothers and sisters that formerly were geared to oppress you, and I want you to know the gospel is moving forward. Your gift, your, your support of me is a part of that. All these years that you've been supporting me have led me to this moment where I'm sitting in a Roman jail getting to share Christ with these guys and they're coming to faith. We're winning. This is us. To those Philippians, they needed to know their gift meant something. You'll never know how God is going to use your generosity to move the kingdom forward. So what do we do with this letter today? It's kind of interesting. As I read through this section several times, I thought, you know, this section really captures a lot of the way that we like to think about money and giving and finances at Pulpit Rock. And so I thought I would do two things this morning. I want to share with you briefly five commitments that I want to make to you on behalf of our leadership. And then I want to invite Jonathan Cleveland up, and we're gonna, I'm going to ask him a few questions about kind of where we are financially and some things that are going on there so you can get updated on that. You good for that? You tracking? I'm going to give you five commitments that we'll make to you, and they come out of this passage. Here's the first commitment I want to give to you when it comes to generosity and giving and finances. Number one, we rarely will invoke urgent need when we talk about giving. We're not going to get up here and say, little Timmy... He's not going to have a class the next morning if you don't give some. We're not going to do that. It's always a little Timmy. I once heard a TV evangelist get on TV and say, God told me if we don't raise this much money, he's going to take my life. Some of you might remember that. It's like 30 years ago. I remember hearing that, and I'm not proud of what I prayed, but this is what I prayed. God, don't let him get the money. Okay. <laughs> I just want to see what happens. I mean, that, that's a pretty powerful word. He said you're going to kill him. If you know, I just want to see because then I want to see him come out and go, well, hey, God changes his mind. I, I was just interested in that. Here's a good rule of thumb. If a pastor gets up and says, God told me that you're supposed to give money to this, you grab your wallet and you book it for the door. If you have to pay to pray, you're getting played. You know what I'm saying? Don't do that. Paul didn't talk about giving in the context of need. In fact, several times he's like, I didn't need it, but you gave it anyways. He's not pleading for money. At Pulp Rock, we're not going to appeal to you out of obligation. We're going to appeal to you out of partnership. Hey, would you like to join us in what we're doing? That's how we're going to talk about it. Now, last summer, we did have to bring a need to you. Uh, if you were here, you remember this room had been destroyed by a flood. It's like biblical proportions flood. And we had to come to you and say, hey, here's the situation. But I hope you know the way we said it was, here's the situation. Here's what we need. If you can give to this and if God directs you, great. And... Just saying that, you guys more than enough gave for us to see this. That's how we're going to talk about it. Here's the second thing. I commit to you that we're always going to ask you to give out of your walk with God. It's about a relationship. I love the story that's told about the 5th century. There was this group of people called the Franks. And they actually invaded the Roman Empire. So now the Roman Empire is on the decline. The Franks are moving in. Now the Franks considered themselves Christians. And so one of the things they would do with their armies before they went into battle to make sure that they had the covering and blessing was their entire army would go get baptized. Except for one thing. The armies would walk into the water and they'd drop below the water to be baptized, but they would hold their right arm out of the water so it stayed dry. The thinking was... When I pick up my sword, when I pick up my battle axe, when I pick up my weapon, it's going to be with an unbaptized hand. See, all of me belongs to Jesus, but that doesn't, so it can do whatever it wants. That way I'm not guilty of killing people. Isn't that kind of weird? We look at that and we think, that's really a boneheaded thing to do. But I wonder if sometimes we view that with our own finances. In a sense that it's like, well, I'm going I'm to give my life to Christ, but I sure don't like it when, when church talks about money or the Bible talks about money. Like that's, that's my business, and it doesn't have anything to do with my spiritual life. 
Paul stressed, it's not the money I'm interested in. It's not the gift. It's the relationship with God. So whenever we talk about money here, it's always going to be in the context of relationship. You're going to hear us say things like, ask God. And if he tells you not to, don't. And if he tells you to do it, I encourage you to do it. But it's always going to be driving you back to a relationship. Here's the third thing. I commit to you that we are going to trust that if we give away, God's going to meet our needs. Paul said, Philippians, you've been generous. God's going to be generous to you. Now, this church has a long 70 almost year history of being generous. It's an amazing place. And we continue that today. One of the things we've practiced is that we give 20% of our annual giving away every year outside these walls. So every $100 that comes to us, 20 of it goes right back out. Now, there are times, and I look at that, and I think, but boy, we could really use that. We could do this. We could do this. But there's a belief that if we give out, we're not going to lose. We want to model that for you and model that for ourselves because we want to practice the faith that says generosity is going to pay off in the end. Two more real quick. I commit to you that our leaders are never going to ask the church to give where we are not giving. Paul said, hey, this relationship, Philippians, it's a two-way partnership. You're giving to me, I'm giving something to you. There's a mutuality to it, a give and receive. And I want you to know that anytime that we ever talk about a Christmas offering or maybe there's a special need or, or maybe there's like the challenge that Jonathan gave us earlier this year to really think about maybe stepping up our giving in a different level, it's always going to be with the practice that our elders, our staff, our leaders are giving first. This is never one of those, well, we gave at the office. No, we, we, we give here with you and we lead out in that way. We want to be partners in it. It's more fun. Last thing, this. We want to get better at, this is my commitment, we want to get better at thanking you for and telling the story of your generosity. That's, that's something we've really been working on in the last few years, is telling the story better. It's always easy to ask for something. It's not always good to come back and go, oh yeah, this is what happened. Paul went on and on how thankful he was for their gift. He said, it's like an Old Testament sacrifice. But he also told them stories like, hey, you, your support, I want you to know, it's paying off in the lives of these Caesar's household guys. We want to get better at making sure you know how much we appreciate your giving. And, but, but also more than that, not just thanks, but it's making a difference. One of the quick ways you can find out about that is walking through these doors and to the right and visit what we call the wall. Stories of where Pulver Rock's open-handedness is playing out in our city and in our world. That's what we commit to you because this is us. And i got to confess, I like us. And I like you being a part of us. And I hope that we can be together for a long time. Now, I want to pray for us in just a moment, and then I want to invite Jonathan Cleveland to come up and, and answer a few questions about kind of our current financial state. We're not, we're not asking for anything. We're just going to update you and kind of tell you what we're doing. But pause with me for a moment. God, we simply pause like Paul did in the middle of his last words and say, we, we honor you. We thank you for being involved. We thank you that you care about our lives. We're thankful that you notice us. And I'm thankful right now for all the different ways that someone else's generosity has been used by you to remind us that you notice us. May we be that noticer ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Welcome up Jonathan Cleveland with me for just a moment. invited Jonathan to come up because uh, Jonathan's going to kind of update on some stuff that's happening. If you've been walking around this summer, you see a lot of under construction signs. And some of you are even saying, where are those beautiful red lockers? 
Um, well, there's some stuff happening in our church, and I wanted to bring Jonathan up to kind of give us uh, uh, an understanding of that. We've been talking about how, to, how we could be open-handed as a church. Well, that's playing out in a new relationship that's beginning this summer. Jonathan, want you kind of yeah, share? I, I loved how you framed it, that uh, when we're generous, uh, God provides opportunities that maybe we never would expect, and uh, he's done that a few times for us. Years ago, uh, there was a charter school, Thomas McLaren Charter School, that approached us and said, hey, we're looking for a spot to launch our school. Could we use yours? And so we entered into a relationship with them and walked with them for a number of years. We knew that relationship was coming to an end. These last, uh, this last year, they've been looking really hard for a facility and struggling to find one. Um, at some charter school meeting, uh, they met another charter school, uh, Global Village Academy, and someone made a joke, hey, we should swap buildings. Um, and then the next day, Global Village called them and said, hey, are you serious about that? Um, and so we started the conversation this spring with this new school, um, and Thomas McLaren bought their building, and they came in, uh, they're in the process of moving in here and leasing from us, and uh, we've been working out all those details this summer. But again, that's not something that we went to seek out. Um, it was just something that God kind of dropped in our lap, and we looked at it, and we said, hey, this really seems aligned with who God created us to be, and so we've stepped into it this summer. Yeah. So it's kind of exciting to do that. Uh, one of the things that's always been true about this place is it would be easy to have this, this building sit empty throughout the week, mm -hmm. and I just, I hate that. I, I mean, I, I know that there's wear and tear, and uh, I've, I've seen some of the stains. I, I, I can't identify them, but uh, <laughs> I'd rather have a dirty, broken-down building that got used to the max, right, than one that's nice and Jesus shows up and they're like, hey, we kept it clean for you. So we, we love this partnership with the city. Uh, it, there are challenging times for that, and there's, you know, there's good and bad. And So what, maybe talk about that. Like what, yeah. what does this mean for us as a church, having the school here? Well, one thing that's unique, I, I really don't know of any other church. I heard of one this morning, but uh, one of the church that's doing this. I know a lot of situations that are the reverse, where churches are renting from a public school. Um, I, I don't know of any churches outside of one other one where the public school is renting from the churches. And so it's hard to even frame what does that mean? What is, uh, how does this connection work? Uh, think of it this way. It's like having a roommate. Our church has a roommate. Um, and I'm sure you've had roommates before. There, uh, you know, there are some challenges to having a roommate, of course, uh, but there is an enormous upside to having a roommate, and we experience that as a church. Uh, uh, they uh, obviously pay to help offset an enormous amount of operational costs just for running a facility of this size. Uh, what that does for us is it frees up money to pay for ministry and to invest in people. Yeah. And that's really our heart here. Um, and so uh, them being here really offsets an enormous amount of operational costs just in maintaining this facility so that we can invest in kids and in families um, and in this community. That's a huge upside. Another huge upside for us is just some of the stuff you're seeing looking around is renovations. There's parts of our building where they say, hey, we'd love to update that. We say, yes, we would too. Let's update it together. Um, and so it seems like right now, everything outside of this room is being updated, like a new carpet and new paint and just so many things that we've been wanting to do for years. We're seizing the opportunity this summer to do. Um, so there's a lot of new updating of just, uh, you know, ongoing uh, areas of this building that we want to update. But the last thing, and I think this really is the most important part for us, is 
it just gives us a chance to be connected to our community in a way that we never would be outside of this relationship. We're able to be generous and open-handed and, and connect with something that we really believe in. The schools in this city, uh, they are fighting the good fight. They're uh, ministering to families, helping kids. And we really want to have some skin in the game just in Colorado Springs and be a good neighbor that's investing in this community. And so this gives us a chance to do that. Yeah, and, and I didn't really think about it till this morning when you were talking in the first service that, you know, Paul talked about this two-way partnership he's got. And I don't, I don't want to give the impression that we're, we're so generous that we said, oh, you can have our building for free. Right, right. Not that generous. No, no. Uh, <laughs> but I, our hope is it, it, it feels like a two-way partnership. I mean, when Paul mm -hmm. showed up in Philippi 20 years before this letter was written, um, there was, he wasn't getting paid for that. He was being generous to just give the gospel and to help them plant a church. And it was other other believers generosity helping them do that now coming to coming back there's this two-way partnership and so i like to think about the school I, I hope that they feel we're being generous with them i hope they feel we're being uh, uh we're being generous the other way whatever i just said I, i'm tracking yeah okay uh so so at the end of this time whenever that is five years ten years i don't know when it is at the end of this time we can say our city is better we're better because we had a partnership in this thing and so there is that sense of mutuality that Paul's talking about that I think is really yeah. evident. And just to interject, so we're initially entering into basically a five-year deal. There's some options built in. But that really is our hope in, in kind of the, just the foundation of this, is anyone who is for the flourishing of the city, they, we feel like we're partners with them. And so that's, that's why this kind of weird roommate situation is something that's aligned with who we are. So uh, be praying for us and, and yeah. be patient, please. Thank you, as we're still getting things fixed around this building. But um, let me switch gears one last thing. Yeah. Talked about the school. That's a good story. I love that. But what, what's on the horizon for us financially as a church? Yeah. What's down the road? You know, financially, things are really good right now. Um, the budget is as healthy as I can remember it being. We're on track to pay off um, the mortgage that we have in the next five years. We're on track to, to retire that which we're really excited about. I don't know if uh, some of you may not be aware that we have an, a mortgage on the building next door, um, but we've had that for the last uh, maybe 14, 15 years, but we are close and, and we have plans to retire that in the next five years. Uh, and what we're increasingly able to do with the funds that come in is just leverage them for greater impact in the lives of people. Um, both internally with ministries here, but also externally, finding partnerships with people who are like-minded, who care about uh, people's journey with God, who are walking alongside of them, missionaries, organizations, all that sort of thing. We're just increasingly able to free up more funds to invest in that sort of stuff. So really excited about what's going on. If you remember in January, I challenged us uh, that we wanted to kind of increase our giving budget by 10%. And I said, you know, there's no like crisis. It's not like we're laying off staff or anything like that. It's just we want to invest more in some of the ministries that we have here. Um, it, it, as we've stepped into that, I know you and Jessica stepped into that. Becky and I felt led to step into that, just increasing our giving by 10%. I want to renew that challenge to you and just say, pray about investing in this place. This is a worthy place to invest in. And increasingly, the money that we give here is making a difference in lives, in, in real people's lives. Um, and, and as we always do, our, our challenge to you is just to say, hey, engage with God, consider this, uh, and then step into whatever it is that he asks you to do. Because we're, we're really enjoying just seeing that. As we live open-handedly as a church, God brings these things into our lives that we never would expect. Um, and, and we certainly didn't ask for but we're able to step into them with him and just feel that joy of walking alongside with God in his work. Well, hey, I, I want you to hear this. Um, 
a, a big reason that we're in this situation is the leadership that Jonathan's given in this area over the last uh, five or six years. He's doing a fantastic job with that. And I just want to appreciate him with you guys this morning. Say thank you, Jonathan. Good job. So seriously, because you said that, I mean, th there are a handful of other people, our elder board, Corey LaPlante, Adria Robinson, yeah. who have uh, really shaped some of this stuff for us too. We, gotta, we have to also have to recognize them. They have laid an incredible yeah. foundation. Yeah. Um, one, one thing, you may have questions, you may say, hey, I have, I have a follow-up to that. Uh, in the cards, in the seats in front of you, there's a thing that says give. It talks a little bit about kind of giving here at Pulp Rock, how we do that. There's also a place if you have questions or you want to direct them our way, we'll be happy to try to talk with you about that. Mm -hmm. um, we're going we're gonna to move towards wrapping up our service with an opportunity for you to respond to God through, through words and through song, through prayer. And I, I thought I would, I would do this. As we're kind of ending today, I want to ask you this question. What's your next step? What's your next step? Here's a couple different ways to think about that. Number one, wh what is God saying might be your next step in your generosity journey? It might have something to do with Pulp Rock. It might not. It, it might be dealing with that scarcity mindset. Maybe there's a fear in your life that says, but if I do this, I won't have this. What is your next step there? Second way to think about this is we're wrapping up nine weeks of talking about what it means to be a part of us is, uh, I'd love to ask this, what's your next step in your journey with us at Pulpit Rock? God's saying, hey, I want you to plant into this place. You've heard enough. Commit in. Jump in. Uh, some ways you can play that out is today, right after the service, we have a, a free lunch. We're calling Starting Point, a chance to meet and, and get to know each other. Next Sunday is going to be a real fun Sunday as we meet here at 1030, and we have a little bit of baptism. We have some child dedications. Then we're going to go outside and do potluck and food trucks and communion all together and just have some family time. It's a great Sunday to be here. Or even the, the month of August, just because we're finished with this series, we have actually a I'm really excited about in August, we're going to do a series called Growing Young. We're going to ask this question. Hey, so we, we like talking about us, but how are we inviting kids and students and youth and the next generation to be a part of us? How can we welcome them to the table? So that'd be a great way to step in. But as we wrap up here, I'm going to invite the worship teams up because uh, maybe your next step isn't one of those areas. Maybe your next step is just with God himself. Maybe what you need to do today is you need to be reminded that God notices you. And one of the ways God notices you is he came to you first and said, I'm open-handed. You come as you are. Don't bring me things. Don't impress me. Just come and receive. And so we're going to stand together as Kevin's going to lead us, and we're going to sing a song, Come As You Are. And I pray that these words would be your prayer to God today, that you would have the faith to believe that God truly is extending his hand to you. Take his hand and receive.